You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. What is up, friends? This is episode number 465, and it's another episode of the Well-Fed Women podcast. How we doing? I am feeling good, and I'm excited for you to listen to this podcast, quite honestly. (laughs) So I'm really excited for you. This topic was a popular one, and it's all about addressing hormone issues in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. I know that those of you listening, people in this community, the age range is wide. There's 20-year-olds, there's 60-year-olds, but there are a lot of women who are in that 30 or 40-something or even 50-something age group who are in the middle of a transitional phase. And a lot can happen in that phase. A lot of you are noting symptoms and differences in cycles and just hormonal imbalances What do those mean and how can we set ourselves up for success so that perimenopause sucks a little less? (laughs) I'm really excited to talk about that today with my guest, Jen Pike. She's actually a medical exercise specialist and functional diagnostic nutritionist. She's got a lot of really cool programs. She's the best-selling author of three books, and she is the founder of something called The Hormone Project. She also has a podcast called The Simplicity Sessions. It's quite a little tongue twister, and that is all about optimizing health and hormones for women specifically in this phase of life, the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Man, we talked a lot about some big topics. So how do we actually support ourselves in our 30s so that perimenopause is easier and we can, you know, breeze through it a little bit better and without a lot of symptoms? And what do we do when we actually get there? What do certain symptoms mean? So if your cycle is a different length now, what does that mean and what should you do about it? We also talk about testing. We talk about how to partner up with practitioners. And we even dive into, you know, estrogen dominance, raising progesterone um, if your progesterone is low. And, you know, other things. BO, is that a thing? Alcohol sensitivity, like all these things that happen that many of you have questions about, we have answers. (laughs) I actually was talking with Jen before I do interviews. I always sit down with my guests and we go over the questions and I say, here are all these questions. I want you to be comfortable with them. I want you to, you know, think about them as you're answering your questions so that you know what people want to know. And so while we were going through that and talking about the questions, Jen was on fire and she was already just going for it. So I'm we're going to jump right in to our conversation, our little pre-conversation before the episode, and, and you're going to get all the answers to your questions, too, in the actual episode. So now let's get to the interview. Well, Jen, let's do it. You're already on a roll here, and I'm so excited that you're here and we get to really dive into these questions. First, before we do, how did you like want to learn more about perimenopause because as we were discussing this is something that the 40s and 50s women in their 40s and 50s i mean this is kind of new information really being able to have a good transition i mean growing up i only heard horrible things about perimenopause and that there was nothing you could do about it and you're gonna have to experience it one day Mm-hmm. So how did you get into this? I, you know, how did you start learning more about perimenopause and this idea that, you know, it could actually be something that is actually easier than what everybody's saying it is? You know, I've been in this industry, so I'm 44 now, and I registered my first company in the industry when I was 17. And I went on to become a medical exercise specialist and strength and conditioning coach. And I worked all with athletes, mainly with men, but part-time to support myself, I was working with women and personal training them and taking them through nutrition. And most of them were moms and they were much older than me. I was in my early twenties. And what I started to recognize was that the movement and the nutrition was getting us to a certain point where they were having results and feeling better, but they would be talking to me and sharing different symptoms and different issues where I was like, I didn't, I wasn't actually taught that formally in my education in school. And back then the conversation like perimenopause wasn't even a term. It was just menopause. So women that I was working with were talking about thyroid issues, weight gain, hair loss, you know, weren't sleeping at night, hot flashes, no libido. 
I wasn't even a mom at that point yet. And I just remember sitting and holding space for their stories and thinking to myself, something's missing here. Like, I feel like there is, you know, a bridge that we we got to build. And so I started to dive deeper into understanding at that time, I just really took a deep dive into understanding women's blood chemistry. So that when they were saying, I went to my doctor, I asked for the test. They said, everything is fine. I was like, but is it, could you bring the test in? Like, can I just actually take a look at it? And so I really surrounded myself with a lot of mentors, both allopathically and functional medicine to start to go deeper, then went back to school to continue to learn more. And then I became a mom and I was like, oh, this is this is different, uh, you know, in your body, physically, mentally, emotionally, and through having my children. Um, and then I opened up a brick and mortar space. I had a, a yoga and Pilates studio and we had a naturopath and a homeopath and osteo and all these different aspects. And 99% of our clientele were women. And so stories were coming in and shares were coming in and symptoms and struggles. And so about 15 years ago, I really committed myself to understanding as much as I could about women's health and hormones, the physiology of it, the changing, the shifting, the phases. In the beginning, it was understanding the four phases of a menstrual cycle. And that really, for me, was this aha moment of recognizing so many of us will describe I literally can feel like a different person, you know, from Monday to Tuesday, week over week, and women can feel like they're going crazy. And as I started to dig deeper into the understanding, it was like, no, we literally are a different expression of ourselves on a hormonal level, but physically, mentally, and emotionally, depending on what phase you're at in your cycle. And then that dove deeper into when women were showing up with irregular cycles, they were coming to me in their late thirties into their early and mid forties. And there were a lot of changes that were happening that seemed subtle in the beginning. So irregular then became the new norm and regular for them. um, And then was leading into menopause. Now, I also grew up in a household where my oldest sister was 12 years older than me. So like I was four when she was 16, I was being exposed to a lot of different information my mom had a radical hysterectomy due to endometriosis in her 40s. And I, my mom was one of the women that was put on Premarin, that was put on hormone replacement therapy. And then when the WHI study came out, was ripped off that hormone replacement therapy, literally like rug pulled out from underneath her. And I watched her suffer going through that. And so it was all these little moments, Noelle, where I was just plugging away and plugging away. And, you know, mm-hmm. then back in like 2016, 2017, just dove deeper into functional medicine surrounded myself, became incredible friends with women like Dr. Carrie Jones and a lot of other practitioners. And here we are now. And this is what I do in practice is I really focus on, I educate women around perimenopause and the fact that, you know, it, this isn't a, an issue or problem that starts in our mid forties and our fifties, our ovarian aging, our ovarian decline starts to happen in our early thirties. And I didn't have that information when I was 30 years old. And so if we can start to have women understand that, yes, this is a natural process that is going to happen. However, our lifestyle has a massive impact on it. So the way we nourish our body, the way we move our body, our level of stress, our yeses and our nos in life, our sleep habits, our environment, toxins, all of those things, there's a compound effect. And the more stress that our body is under, it's like you're keeping your foot on the gas pedal and you are starting to create possibly earlier uh, decline and deficiencies in some of those hormones than what could be necessary. And so for women in their thirties, a lot of the symptoms they're happening behind the scenes and majority of women won't even actually notice that anything is truly changing and going on. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. Number one, like I said, a lot of it is subtle. The second thing is that when you think about life in your 30s, it's fast paced. You know, you are either like really working on building your career, maybe having a family, you're owning a home, you're in a relationship. You are like at that rise energy, that moment of elevation in your life where it's really easy to dismiss something kind of feeling off or not feeling good. And so we get really used to that. And again, we've been taught this story, like you're in your thirties, this is like the prime of your life. You're not going to have hormonal issues. And so we just plow through, we work out harder, we create a caloric deficit, you know, we follow and do all the things. And then we will get to this point where it feels like, and this is how most people describe it. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, 
which the reality is it's not all of a sudden. We just weren't taught to start to pay attention to the cues. And so some of those cues in the most basic way of understanding, for most women in the beginning, they'll notice their mood shift. So they'll notice like, you know, they used to be pretty calm. It would take a while for something to really get them agitated. And now they're like, oh my gosh, my bandwidth for like BS and patience has gotten so much shorter. Like I just kind of fly off the handle at things where I'm like, whoa, that is not my norm. And you're aware of it. Like you're like, that's not normally how I would respond to that. Another thing is changes in our period. And it's not usually massive changes, but for a woman who had a regular cycle, who was like, I get my period every 29 days clockworks. She can have it where all of a sudden she's like, oh, it's, it started on day 27. That's different. I don't normally get my period on day 27. Huh, okay. And then the next month it comes back day 29 and then day 29 and then day 27 again. And then she's just starting to notice, well, okay, that's weird. Like my period's coming a little bit earlier. Sometimes it comes a bit later in women, but usually in the beginning, it's a little bit shorter. And what that means is, That time from when we ovulate until we have our next bleed, which is the luteal phase, it starts to get a little bit shorter. Other women might also notice they have like a little bit of spotting before their period that they never used to have before. So instead of, you know, waking up or at some point in the day, like you you feel that that warm, you know, gush and you have like a bright red period, your period has started, they'll notice like a day or a couple days before when they wipe, they're like, hmm, there's like a pink or a brown tinge on the toilet paper, or they have just a little bit where they need to use a panty liner. And some women actually mistaken that and think that that is their period starting. So one of the things I'll ask women when they say to me, you know, I, I, I have like a five day long period. And I'm like, can you describe it to me from the moment you think your period has started until the moment you believe your period has ended? Because oftentimes for most women, what they're counting as their period is actually premenstrual spotting. Um, And so that's a really important classification. The other changes will be that that woman in her like mid to late thirties, early forties, her body composition is shifting. And she's like, "Uh, I never used to hold weight in this area of my body. And all the things that I used to do, tighten up my diet, cut out the wine a little bit, you know, move my body a bit more, they're not working. Like this weight is not budging. And most women at that stage describe the weight not as like, I feel like I'm just piling on fat. They'll say, I, I'm just feeling thick and I'm feeling puffy and I actually kind of feel inflamed. Um, and then two of the other I see most common symptoms is sleep starts to change, meaning that they can still sleep, but they simply not waking up feeling as rested as they used to. And then the other really common change is that they notice things shifting in their skin. The skin feels drier. They're maybe getting breakouts that they never used to have before. All of a sudden they're having like uh, psoriasis patches and like just things are different. And so any one of those things can be kind of like the initial little whisper of the body. And so what's really important is you know, people will ask me, what's the number one thing that I could start to do to, you know, get into a place of more empowerment in my body for my hormones? And my number one recommendation is pay attention, like actually pay attention. It's wonderful that we're all tracking our periods now and cycles and various apps, and please keep doing that. But Also stop dismissing the things you think mean nothing. Like those headaches you get now that you never used to get, make note of that. The the weight gain, the sleep changes, make note of those things. And the reason why this is so powerful is twofold. So number one, you are actually starting to create your own data. Like it's your body. It's not TikTok or Instagram that's telling you this. This is your body. You are starting to track what's happening individually for you. And the second part of this is that when you go to a practitioner, so whether it's your family doctor, it's an OBGYN, it's a functional medicine practitioner, it's a naturopath, whoever it is you're going to see, and they are asking you to describe what's going on, you now have literal data that is from your own body that you have been tracking. So that's my my number one thing for women is stop dismissing your body and believe her the first time she talks to you because your body is talking to you all the time. I am so excited to announce that subscriptions are available on my favorite digestive enzyme ever. It has completely changed my digestion. I take it every single day. And now through February 1st, 2024, you can actually subscribe for two bottles every three months. 
at 20% off. And if you're listening to this after February 1st, you can still sign up for a subscription. It'll be 15% off. Let me tell you why this has changed my life. I found something called Digestive Complex. It has a blend of 10 different enzymes, including lactase to help with dairy and protease for protein digestion, and a blend of herbs like licorice and marshmallow root, which are calming for the stomach. It also has hydrochloric acid, which is often suppressed when we're stressed. I randomly just get digestive issues occasionally, especially if I'm traveling or eating out. And I also notice it when I'm upping my protein intake or I tend to have a higher protein day. And so taking these digestive enzymes specifically at dinner when I tend to eat a lot of protein has made such a huge difference. I am not exaggerating when I tell you it's completely changed my digestion Digestive Complex is a synergistic formula that provides support for healthy digestion and relief from occasional discomforts such as gas, bloating, and indigestion. I think just about everyone should have a bottle on hand to proactively help your body digest food, especially if you're dealing with a chronic condition or you're under stress or going through a season of stress. I also find that it's really important a lot of people are deficient in nutrients. And when you bring in a digestive enzyme, you're allowing your body to digest nutrients better. So you're absorbing your nutrients better and you're at a lower risk of experiencing a deficiency. For a limited time, you can get 10% off Digestive Complex. Go to mdlogichealth.com forward slash digestive. Again, that's mdlogichealth.com forward slash digestive. Use code WELLFED for 10% off or sign up for a subscription like me. You can get two bottles every three months for 20% off for the life of the subscription as long as you have it, as long as you sign up before February 1st. If you're listening to this after February 1st, no problem. Sign up for a subscription and you'll get 15% off. I think a lot of people resonate with all of that because they're experiencing it in some way, shape, or form. Just based on the questions we have, those are a lot of the things that people are experiencing. I know people are like, but what do I do about it? So mm-hmm. if you st- when you start to notice those tiny little symptoms, what do you do about it? And can you also tell me a little bit about what you recommend in terms of testing? Should we be getting in our 30s a baseline before maybe some of those symptoms Or even if we're already experiencing them, should we be getting a baseline now before that transition happens? Okay, so I'll start with the second first. And the answer is yes, I really do believe. So I was talking about our symptom data, which, you know, with perimenopause, there's no like, there's no test to diagnose that you're in perimenopause. We can pay attention to different markers, but the reality is if we're having these shifts and and nuanced changes happening, depending on the day of the month that we test you, we can get very different results, right? If we're testing you in a month where you ovulated, we can have certain results. If we test you in the month where you had anovulation, where you didn't actually ovulate, we can get very different results. That being said, we are looking at more than just your hormones and blood work. And so everyone, I mean, we know we've all been taught to go for like an annual checkup, an annual physical. Um, For us as women, this is really, really important, I feel, to have an annual benchmark of having full blood work done so that you can understand and see those transitions your body is going through. Yes, in your hormones, but also we want to look at like full paneling. We want to look at your thyroid. We want to look at your triglycerides and your lipid markers, your, um, you know, high sensitivity, uh, C-reactive protein. We want to look at your adrenal health, which we can understand in blood on some levels from sodium and potassium, creatinine, some of the kidney markers. You know, we want to be looking at things like vitamin D, um, our iron, those types. Now, here is the issue with that, though, is that you and I live in North America. You're in the U.S. I'm in Canada. Our definition of full blood work is not full blood work in the current healthcare system. So part of this is learning and knowing what to ask for. And we actually on our website, if you go to genpike.com forward slash resources, we have a free download for blood work that we do recommend you ask your physician to run as a baseline. Um, Because for instance, like when we talk about something like thyroid in women, which Thyroid is so common and most commonly coming into women in between like ages of 35 and 55. It's the perimenopausal menopausal window and postpartum is also one of the highest rates that when we see thyroid issues develop. If you're simply going and just having TSH done, that's telling us one fifth of the picture of what's happening with your thyroid. So it's understanding all the markers to be looking at. Now, when it comes to testing specifically for hormones, 
We have a few different ways of doing that. So blood, I always recommend. The timing of your testing is really important. So one time of the month that a woman may be sent to have her hormones tested would be on like day two or three of her actual period. If we were looking at things like her FSH, which is her follicular stimulating hormone that is actually coming from the brain, from the pituitary that talks to your ovaries. This is this is like the megaphone that's like, hello down there. Like this is your job. Follicles need to ripen. We need to release an egg. Ovulation is the main event. Like is everybody on board here? And it's also where we secrete our luteinizing hormone as well, LH. If we're trying to test and look at what's progesterone doing in this woman's body right now, and we're looking at a ratio of estradiol, of estrogen and progesterone, most likely... Um, she's going to be told to be tested five to seven days after ovulation or five to seven days before her next period. Now, if you're somebody who has like, let's just say what we all get taught is the, the normal period, 28 days. What that would mean is we're going to test you somewhere in that window of like day 19 to 22 is typically the recommended days to be testing for progesterone. However, if you're a woman who has a very irregular cycle, you you don't know. It could come on day 24 and sometimes it could come on day 35. That range now gets a little bit trickier to rely solely on that one test. We can still run the test. We're still going to get information, but we would want to run the test again in X amount of months and see, okay, what's your body doing now? Now, same comes when we do dry urinary testing right? So when we're running a Dutch test. So a Dutch test is again, run at specific times of the month. Now, something I love about the Dutch test is the Dutch complete is the test that gets talked about the most. It's the most commonly ordered. However, there is also a Dutch plus complete, which we can actually track every single day. So you would urinate on the testing strips on a daily basis to try to understand your fluctuations throughout the entire month, as opposed to just pinpointing it on one day. There's also a salivary component where we can go deeper on understanding your adrenal health and your full cortisol awakening response, which is that when we wake in the morning, within that first half hour or so, your adrenal should be able to double their production of cortisol, which is that's your internal mojo. That's what like gets everything on board up and going. If you're the kind of person where you're like, I have to snooze so many times. If I don't have coffee in the morning, my eyelids don't open. Like I can't function. That's a pretty strong indication that we have some adrenal dysregulation and your cortisol waking response needs some support. So I'm a huge fan of testing for a different, you know, types of reasons. Do I use the Dutch test right out of the gates with women who are in the, in the depths of perimenopause, meaning they're at the later end coming into menopause and everything is all over the place. It probably wouldn't be the first test I would start with. I would go full, complete blood panel. And for that woman, she probably is also experiencing the onset of new digestive issues, gas, bloating, reflux, like just things are shifting and changing. I would probably test her stool and run like a really good quality gut test. In our practice, we use GI map. There's a couple of different ones on the market. Um, I would start with that as my base. Now, the things to begin to do to really support our bodies now starts with what I just said, which is your digestion. So we've been taught that as we age, our hormones are the thing that's going to change the most. Yes, and. And the flux and change of those hormones also have a dramatic impact on our digestive system. Like every microbiome in our body is going to change as our hormones change because they're all on the same team. They're all communicating with one another. So what happens as we get into those perimenopausal years is our stomach acid starts to decrease. So we can tend to be more bloated, more gassy, foods you used to eat forever that never bothered you. All of a sudden you're like, why can't I have that anymore without feeling whatever it is? Yeah, Bowels can start to shift, right? Constipation, diarrhea, those kind of things. So really honoring your digestion. Okay, I always say to women, don't go and buy the fancy bougie things you think are going to help your health until you've really started to dial in on breaking your food down absorbing your nutrients, properly eliminating and having healthy poops. Like if you want to go invest in something right now, get a squatty potty, <laughs> right? Like we, and this is important because 
This is that age range where everyone's going to talk about estrogen dominance and, and we can go a little deeper into that. But one of the really important markers of helping women to properly eliminate excess estrogen once we've used it is if you don't have really good quality poops and you aren't eliminating, your body is reabsorbing and uptaking that estrogen back in, which is going to contribute to your PMS, your breast tenderness, your weight gain, your headaches, your skin issues, you know, all of those different things. So digestion is important. And that could be something as simple as, you know, do you actually chew? It sounds so like basic, but most people don't even chew what's in their mouth and digestion doesn't start in your stomach. It starts in your mouth. So it's, you have to salivate, you have to mechanically break your food down before you chemically break it down with your enzymes and stomach acid. And then from there, like, this is how our body can extract all the vitamins, the minerals, the antioxidants, polyphenols, like everything we all say that we want to get for the healthy skin, hair, bodies, all of that, it lives in those bites. So you have to optimize that digestion. Now, if you've really been suffering for digestion for a long time, using digestive enzymes can be very helpful. If you don't have a gallbladder, I 10 out of 10 recommend a digestive enzyme because you need something with that bile and pancreatin. But you could also make it even simpler in the beginning. Like for some people, they don't need a specific enzyme. They could use bitters. They could do a little bit of apple cider vinegar. So start with digestion first. And then from there, the next most important thing that I think for us, for our hormones is balancing your blood sugar. And so this with digestion goes hand in hand and balancing your blood sugar. When you look at your plate or your bowl or whatever you're about to have, you want to ask yourself, you're looking for four things. Where's my healthy source of protein? Where's my healthy source of fat, my healthy source of fiber and carbohydrate. And typically your fiber and your carbohydrate, they're, they're going to live together. Right. And if we're eating in accordance to this way, we are going to have a much better chance at having really stable blood sugar. So for that woman who she's like, gets to the point where she's so hungry that she's like, oh my God, like she's just inhaling whatever's around her. Cause she's like, now I feel nauseous. I feel dizzy. I have a headache. She's not reaching for like a salad with chicken, right? Like she's going to go for something sweet, salty, savory, and something that immediately gives her a hit of dopamine picks her blood sugar back up so that she can actually feel calm again. And if that becomes the repetitive cycle where you always wait for that hypoglycemic cue, like, oh my God, I got to eat, that becomes a big issue. And that will contribute to acne for sure, adrenal and thyroid dysfunction, the body composition issues. So there, issues. When, and like all of it. Women have sleep issues because of mismanaged blood sugar and yeah, not, not being able to have, you know, protein is such a topic right now. It's like coming back around. Everybody's now like protein, protein, which I'm here for. I'm excited about it. Yeah. But so many women struggle with that because like you said, in our thirties, I think that really, you know, that resonated with me, but I'm sure it resonates with so many other women. Your thirties are just a crazy time and you're so mm -hmm. quick to not prioritize your own meals. And your yeah. own sleep and your own, you know, function, normal <laughs> function. Yeah. Sometimes you're not even washing your face at night, you know? Honestly. And so it's like really coming back to the basics of do I have sufficient protein on my plate? And that that takes planning. That takes meal prep. But it's a basic, you know, once you get into the flow of it and start recognizing like at some point you have to start prioritizing yourself again, you have to start saying no to things. So that well, you can put protein on your plate, like a hundred percent. And right. like you, you're hitting the nail on the head. And here is the thing is, I mean, like my thirties were wild. I, you know, I had two little kids. I was running an in-person business. My husband ran his own company as well too. Like we were passing ships for so long. My thirties is also where I hit massive burnout. Like literally just felt like the rug was pulled out from under my body. And it, and it was honestly my own doing because I was in this hustle, grind, build, go, go, go build my empire and be the best mom and be the best wife and try and have a slam and body and do all the things. And I just, myself, I, for what my body was actually saying, like, literally I could feel my body being like, um, excuse me, we just like, we have a little bit of feedback. And I was like, not today. And I just <laughs> kind of kept plowing through. And it was this, the message I was giving my body was, next week, next month, let me just hit this next goal, this next thing. And then my body was like, okay, well, 
we've been calling you for a long time trying to deliver a very important message that you need to slow down and you clearly are not picking up the phone. So we're just going to put your ass on the couch for days upon days and prevent you from being able to do the things you want to do in order to wake you up. Yeah. And I was like, well played body. Well played. Right. Yeah. You know, so, and the protein thing, like you said, it, it is the hardest yet most important macronutrient to get in. And it's the hardest because you have to purchase it. You have to thaw it. You have to cook it. You have right. to, and you have to cook it in bulk. So yeah. one of the things that my husband and I learned the most, so my husband is like really involved in CrossFit. I am not. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's important to him feeding and supporting his body and his goals as well. And so we learned early on if there's four of us in the house, we're not making four chicken breasts, we're making 12. Right. And the reason, right. Yeah. Like it's, and then I'm not roasting one tray of vegetables. I'm roasting two to three so that we have corningware dishes. Like on any given day, you open our fridge and we have dishes of prepared protein and, you know, complex, good quality carbohydrates, fat. You don't have to prep ahead of time. Like it's readily available. You know, it's just waiting for us to stick a spoon in the jar and cut an avocado open. Right. Um, But the protein is hard, but I will tell you for women, that protein is going to save you. Mm -hmm. It is going to save you. Um, and the other thing I just want to say, and that is we're talking about the blood sugar, What I have found in my practice clinically over the last five to seven years is we have had to quite honestly rehabilitate and retrain women out of over fasting. Hmm. A lot of women have just been abusing fasting principles. And what they're doing is they're combining. They're not even doing it how they're supposed to. Number one, they're doing it every day. They are combining a caloric deficit inside of time-restricted eating windows, and they're making it punitive as opposed to supportive. Like there's a lot of benefits of intermittent fasting and fasting principles, but for women as a whole, they are using it as a dieting and a tool to be smaller and take up less space. And it is now actually becoming the opposite of some of those health benefits that we could be yielding from it. So we spend a lot of time in our practice, um, helping women feel safe again of eating more, helping them to bring carbohydrates back in. You know, when we look at all the women who have digestive issues and when you're coming into perimenopause and menopause, the gut is, like I said, going to go through the changes and we're running stool testing, majority of these women's issues is they have depleted all the healthy, good bacteria the commensal bacteria in the gut. And now we have an overgrowth of the opportunistic, not so great bacteria. One of the reasons that happens is when we have less diversity in our diet, we're not getting the plant fibers in, we're cutting out the carbohydrates where majority of those good sources are coming from, we create this level of depletion. So for people in the beginning, it may feel great to do that reduction of carbs, uh, but that is probably going to be something you do for a shorter period of time. And, and if we're dealing with something like PCOS or we're really trying to re-regulate glucose and insulin response, but we're not taking it out completely. And so we live in a world right now where it's like, do keto, do carnivore, do this, do that. And it gets very confusing for people. Yeah. I mean, it, the the problem is everybody's trying to combine everything. So it's like on top of intermittent fasting, you're also doing low carb and you're also you know, trying to work out first thing in the morning and work out fasted. So like everybody picks these little things, puts it all together and it results in disaster. And I think that that's what a lot of women, especially women who are active and in their thirties and, and have kids are, that's why they're kind of reaching this point, as you described in their late thirties and early forties of like, what is happening? All the sudden, all of the sudden in quotations, things are are going crazy. And one of those things that I think I, you know, you get a lot of questions about, and we saw in our questions from the community is estrogen dominance. So Lacey says, estrogen dominance in the early 40s, I'll take anything and everything in terms of advice. Lacey also said, does the carrot salad thing work, which I thought was kind of funny, because you know, I'm sure you've seen that trend going around to help balance hormones. And also Jill asks, how long does it take to actually balance estrogen dominance once you've confirmed you've had you've you have it? Okay. 
So I'll start with the carrot salad. Um, So it's not going to harm you, but it's also not going to be the thing that heals you. That's what I will say. So there is a lot of benefit. And the reason it gets touted as being what supports estrogen dominance so much is that it's rich in carotenoids, it's rich in fiber and polyphenols, and it actually helps to lower an enzyme in the gut called beta-glucuronidase. And if we have a high level of beta-glucuronidase in the estrobolum in the gut, that actually increases our symptoms of what would be estrogen dominance, the headaches, the breast tenderness, the PMS, the weight gain, the water retention, painful, heavy periods, and those types of things. So it's not going to harm you, but it wouldn't be something that I would necessarily like be forcing myself to do. And you don't have to do the, the whole salad thing. You can literally just have like a beautiful organic raw carrot that's been washed, but not peeled and chomp on that. When we talk about estrogen dominance as a whole, it's not that you are producing extra estrogen necessarily. I want people to understand this. There can be a lot of things going on. So it's relativity, meaning that a woman, when you are testing her or you're looking at her symptoms, there is more estrogen in relativity to progesterone. And that's really what we're talking about is that she has lower progesterone than she does to estrogen, but those symptoms you want to dig deeper. We are so bombarded with toxins and xenoestrogens and phthalates and all of these foreign chemicals, perfumes, makeup, cosmetics, what are foods being grown in soil, all of that. And what happens in our body is we have receptor sites on all of our cells and we have estrogen receptor sites. And these chemical compounds are so similar to the estrogen that we are producing and manufacturing that our cells get confused. And there is mimicry that happens where the body starts to uptake and try to pull in and utilize chemical compounds that look very similar to our own that are not. And this is like opening up Pandora's box. So we got much more symptomatic. Now, the other side of that is if If you're a woman who has been chronically constipated, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, and you do not have good elimination and detoxification pathways in your body. Detox is a combination of our liver and our gut. So we talk about supporting digestion. We also need to be supporting our liver. How do we do that? Bitters are going to be one of the easiest, most beautiful ways to pack a one-two punch. Bitters help digestion, bitters help the liver. So looking at foods that are rich in bitters, taking bitters, there's also really good herbs like dandelion and milk thistle, and you'll find different like good quality tinctures. Um, We're in Canada, but in the US, like I use Gaia herbs often with clients in the US that have a really beautiful liver blend. Um, Organic Olivia has a really great blend as well. And that liver has massive responsibilities just as a human who's breathing and blinking with a heart beating, let alone as a woman. All your estrogen and all everything you are consuming and taking in has to go through first pass. This is phase one detoxification through the gut and the liver and make it into something water soluble. Then in phase two, your body requires certain nutrients, certain minerals. And for women who have high levels of estrogen dominance, they're typically lacking minerals and specifically things like magnesium, their adrenals typically aren't doing well, and they may need something like NAC and L-cysteine to help with that. They may need some SAMe. Sometimes there's different, um, and I don't want to get too advanced on it, but different genetic SNPs and the COMPT enzyme plays a big role. But if our body has this difficult time breaking things down and processing and then gets to phase two, which essentially is where we use nutrients to package up that excess estrogen, you know, put it in a, in a box, bubble wrap it, tie it with a bow so that it's causing no issues now. And it sits and waits to be shipped out via the poop mainly. Okay. Is our main way of excreting it. That's your phase three detoxification. If a woman's body is lacking some of those nutrients and has a lot of other inflammatory markers going on her body, when we get to this point of packing, she doesn't have the nutrients for that. And if she has this high beta glucuronidase, everything opens back up. The bow is undone. All of this now is reabsorbed into your body, which is why your symptoms feel so massive. And for most women, they will experience this in that luteal phase, the week or up to 10 days before their period starts. Their boobs can grow an entire size. The scale goes up. They don't feel good. They're groggy. They're like all these different symptoms that happen. And so... We come back to the beginning. How we support estrogen dominance isn't by throwing a bunch of dim at a woman. We Mm -hmm. work on her digestion. We work on her liver. And then 
Potentially. Now, if I'm working with a woman who, and again, I'm going to run testing, if she's in her, you know, early 30s to mid 30s, we could probably use DIM for a period of time. But the woman who's in her 40s who's coming to me, I'm not throwing a bunch of DIM at her body because I'm going to go and plummet her estradiol, her E2, which she needs for every function in her body. And so I would be looking at things like sulforaphane, which is broccoli sprout concentrated, and you, you would have to eat pounds and pounds of broccoli sprout. So avoid the gas and just take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it really is looking at, you know, and things like turmeric, curcumin, like things that are anti-inflammatory are going to help. Um, but supplements play a role, but they're not the, like, I'm going to do it all for you. And that's where we have to look back through that lens. The other thing that really helps with, um, that estrogen progesterone ratio is understanding more about your progesterone and your ovulatory patterns. So sometimes, yes, things like Vitex, uh, white peony, I love Chinese medicine and Chinese herbs to help to rebalance this as well. And depending on what stage you are at, like, so I'm, I'm 44 and I don't have a ton of symptoms, but I have some, there will come a time for me where I will be looking at bringing in that bioidentical hormone replacement to help to calibrate, um, those things, because you get to a point where supplements like it, the supplements aren't going to bring back online. A lot of the hormones that are going to go through that natural decline. And then the final thing I'll say around estrogen dominance is ladies, if you're not already moving your body. You need to be moving and exercising, you know, in a, in a healthy way so that you are keeping your lymph system in motion. How we eliminate, yes, is through our poop, but you also have to keep your body in motion to get things flowing. I have a way for you to get free electrolytes. And let me be honest, you are going to love them. Minerals have quite literally changed my life. I take them daily now. A lot of people think that you don't need to take them during the winter because you're not sweating as much. But that's a myth. If you are running around, if you're working out, if you're eating a whole foods diet, and if you're dealing with stress, your body still needs electrolyte support. In fact, I'm still drinking them daily during the winter now. I tend to drink them mid-morning. I get to a point where I start to feel fatigue. And I actually start to feel like I want something, like I'm craving something, whether it's food or sweet, and I don't really feel hungry. That's when I know I need my electrolytes. One of my favorite ways to replace minerals is with Element. I started supplementing with Element after workouts, and it made a huge difference in my energy and the dizziness I used to experience throughout the day. They make grab-and-go electrolyte replacement packs with no sugar, gluten fillers, or artificial ingredients. You just tear open a pack, pour it into your water, and stir. I have now been mixing up half a packet for my kids when they're sick, which has been often. They now say, I don't feel good. I want my Element. I also pretty much always have one in my purse because when we are out and about, it's been a long day, we're at a football game, I need to pour some Element in my water. Right now, everyone, including new and current customers, can get a free eight-pack of Element with every order. Element comes in boxes of 30. There is free shipping on all orders. And now all orders will get a free eight-pack, which has all the flavors of Element. When you do your order, I recommend doing the Insider Bundle, which gives you three boxes. Then you get one free. Then you get a free eight-pack on top of it. And make sure to check out the new winter flavors, chocolate mint, chocolate raspberry, and chocolate chai, which can be heated up for a warm drink. To get Element, go to drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed and make sure to use the code wellfed for your free sample eight pack. Again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash wellfed. I love the way that you described the reabsorption. That was so easy to visualize. And I think that that's such a missing piece. And I appreciate the note about the dim because that's such an easy fix. Like everybody's like, I'm just going to take dim. Whereas that could be not at all your problem in terms of, you know, your symptoms, especially of estrogen dominance. Yeah. The other quick thing I, that I wanted. Go, go ahead. I just want to say on the dim part, though, is that if you are somebody who's been, on, been put on dim, this isn't your cue to be like, oh, my God, I got to get off the dim. That's not mm -hmm. what I'm saying at all. And I do use DIM in practice, but I'll use it for a short period of time, like three to four months. And I'm going to, how are your symptoms? How are you feeling? What's going on? And then I will pulse, meaning I will take her off and let's see how your next couple of cycles go and do that. But it's not, it's not a multivitamin. <laughs> like it's not right. something you're going to stay on forever. <laughs> so the next two questions that I have are about cycle irregularities. One is from uh, Lindsay, she says, I have a shortened follicular phase. Ovulation is 12 to 14 days, but the follicular phase is only six to seven. 
day or six to 11 days, sorry. And then Kim's actually asked the opposite, which is how do you shorten your cycles? Mine is six weeks long. Is there anything that we can pull from whether our cycles tend to shorten in our upper 30s and 40s or whether they get longer? Or is that just a symptom of the same thing? Okay. Well, the first, I want to answer the first part because the woman who said that she has a short follicular phase of six to 11 days, I think she said, that's not actually a short follicular phase. The, so here's where the misunderstanding and miseducation comes is we have some people teaching about the cycle as a 28 day and you have your first half, which is referred to the whole follicular phase, which in theory would mean day one to 14. And then you have the second half, which would be called the luteal phase day 15 to 28. This is simplified chunking. We actually have the four phases and the follicular phase is typically only seven to 10 days long. So her follicular phase um, is, is actually where it should be. And what that is, is so day one of your bleed until day end, that's your, that's your bleed. That's your menstrual phase. Your follicular phase starts the day your bleed is done until you ovulate. Okay. That is that follicular phase. And it averages seven to 10 days with like a day on either side. Then you have your ovulatory phase, which you ovulate only within that 24 hour period, but the ovulatory phase, which means we have that spike, then we have that dip averages anywhere in that two to three day range. Then you have your luteal phase, which is on the bottom, the backside of that. So I hope if she's listening, that maybe that a makes her feel a little bit better and understand that it sounds like she may have just been taught the phases incorrectly. Now, the woman who's having a six week cycle. I just want to understand this, meaning that in between her periods, she's got 42 days where she's not bleeding at all. That's what she's asking. Yes. Her cycle okay. is six weeks long, her not, cycle, not her period. Yeah, not okay. yeah. So this, when I hear this, I mean, I have more questions. Um, my questions would be like, how long has this been going on for? Is this your norm? What's your actual cycle history? That's really important information to understand before we just jump in and do something. The second piece to that is I would really be working with this woman on dialing in the blood sugar piece. Is there some insulin resistance that's going on? Could sound a little PCOS-y. Um, and so I would, I just have more questions for that woman because yes, we can absolutely bring that cycle back online and have it in a, a more kind of four-ish week. And I always use the word ish because if we keep teaching women that a normal cycle is 28 days and you don't have a 28 day cycle, you're going to feel like you're not normal. And that's not true because a cycle can range. Somebody could have a very healthy regular, and this is what it means for them. Like if Noelle, you're like, I've always had a 25 day cycle. That is your regular cycle. And what we'd be paying attention to in your body is do you start to dip to 21 days? Do you all of a sudden go to 29 days? And, and what is potentially creating that shift to happen? Um, but for the longer one, I would really be dialing in on what is happening with your blood sugar and your thyroid. Those would be the two things that I would be looking at. Yeah, that's really good tips. My follow-up question on that though is, What's the norm, though, for perimenopause? Because at some point, some of these symptoms are no like cycle irregularities are normal as as our body is shifting, our ovaries are shifting and no longer taking that process on. So, like, yeah. isn't there a point at some point where we're like, OK, this is this is it. This is just what's happening and we shouldn't be trying to regulate it as much. Well, okay. Yes. And so we go through different phases of perimenopause. So in the beginning, it'll be the, the couple day little changes that become the new kind of irregular regular. Then what starts to happen is we get deeper in. And when I say deeper in, what's going on behind the scenes is that we are now going to start to have months where we're not ovulating at all. And when we don't ovulate, we don't have the resources to be able to produce the abundance of progesterone. Okay. And then what starts to happen after that is actually the ovaries are starting to secrete less and less estradiol. And when this starts to happen in tandem, not ovulating and less estradiol, this is now when the periods become fewer and fewer, uh, frequency, meaning you could go like the six weeks and that happens a couple of times. And then you're like, now it's a couple of months before I get a period. Now it's been six months. Now I'm on eighth month. And that starts to happen as the body is moving through this slow decline of, of that being the reproductive process. And I'm not talking reproductive of childbearing, just that process and that system until you get to the point where menopause is 
technically classified as 12 months of no period. And I say technically because that is the the, the physical, physiological definition. Symptom-wise, you can already feel like you are very much in menopause where you don't have the same sensations that you used to, you don't have the same cues, and you're just waiting for the calendar to strike 12 months to be like, and now I'm here. The average age is 51, but I will tell you, again, in the last five to seven years in practice, I am seeing that age get younger and younger. And it is because when you look at not just the studies, but you spend time with women, the level of stress that is on the modern day woman now is a hundredfold compared to what it was to the women two, three, four decades ago. And that's where most of the studies were done. So we're in this really beautiful place where we're on the precipice of a lot of new information and data coming from the modern day woman. But we can't wait for white papers. We can't wait for studies. So Please don't put yourself in this state, ladies, where you are waiting for research to confirm how you feel. This is why paying attention to your body and being educated is so important. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's kind of a related question, but I thought it was such a good one from from Hey Jailer. She says, how do we know if our symptoms are hormonal or related to something else? So you mentioned before that a lot of women are now having children at a later age. And so that is essentially going to give you a lot of, like a lot of women are just you know, we have this idea that within a few months, everything should be back to normal. But in reality, it takes a few years. Oh my gosh. How do we know that our symptoms are, oh gosh, they're, you know, I'm entering perimenopause and I need, this is a, this is a sign I'm taking note of it. I need to, and it's just something that you should just say, okay, I'm going to let it do its thing and work itself out until I'm like sleeping again and, you know, have my head on straight with, with kids. Yeah. So for that woman who is having her children into her late thirties or her early forties, the juxtaposition of that is both are happening simultaneously. So she's postpartum, which the biggest lie we've ever told women is that you're postpartum for like six weeks, you're postpartum for flipping years. Okay. Like my kids are 15 and 17. I think I'm still postpartum, (laughs) meaning that like everything is forever changed. (laughs) And then you're also going through perimenopause. So we there we can start to do the things that we can do. So the sleep is always going to be the hardest because your kids don't care that you have health goals. Like they're just like, right. I need you and I need you at 2.14 in the morning. So what you have to try to think about is can you stay hydrated? Okay, so like simple tip, when you are drinking your water, start to put electrolytes in your water, ladies. That is going to be something that will support your adrenals. It'll help your energy element um, is my, my favorite to use. It's just simple, quick, and easy sodium, potassium, magnesium. Thank you very much to the adrenals. That simple. If you are in that place where you can't be getting a lot of meals that are like you require a fork because you're not sitting long enough to do that. This is where you can be embracing and doing more like smoothies and whole foods based bars and soups and things like that that are just a little bit more manageable. But at the end of the day, it's going to come back to some of those same things. So can you find a few moments like I still do this habit now, but when my kids were little, it was so important. I had to have stations in my house to remind me what mattered to me. What I mean by that is next to my toothbrush, if there were certain nutrients like my B complex that I needed, my omegas, they were next to my toothbrush because I brushed my teeth twice a day. I could remember. I saw it. They were not hidden in a cupboard looking tidy. This isn't the home edit version, okay, of our health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We have to see what we need. And in the evening, I had my magnesium there. I had like those kind of things. So create stations like we're sitting in our offices right now, you know, like my B12 is right next to me. My lion's mane is here. The things I know to stay sharp that I need while I am working are right in front of me. And so if you can start to do those things for yourself and don't just dismiss it and be like, it's because I just don't be like the practitioners you're going to who are like, you just had a baby. That's why you're just in your forties. That's why screw that. That is part of your life that is happening. But like we as women say all the time, I feel like I get dismissed. Then stop dismissing yourself. Mm -hmm. Pay attention, make notes, just start to track so that you can understand. Honor digestion, do a little bit of liver support. Now, obviously, if you're breastfeeding and you're a postpartum mom that's listening to this, some of the things you, you take will be a little nuanced. Get your foundations in check. Get the foundations in check. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is from Alessandra. She says, what can you do about high progesterone during the luteal phase? 
So the second half of the cycle. So again, I have more questions. I would love to know if this is something where she was just tested once. I'd love to know how she was tested and what other metrics that they were looking at. So I'm not going to give an actual recommendation on that one, very specifically because I would like to know why that is happening. And there's just more questions that I would have. We have to be really careful that we don't hang our hat on one test result. And there are things we can do to help. Like, I don't want to lower her progesterone. I would want to do help her body do a better job at utilizing her progesterone. I'd also be really curious to know from a neurotransmitter perspective, does she have anxiety or any depression? Because progesterone has a massive role with that GABA connection, right? Of like, and serotonin and dopamine. And so I have more questions than I do an answer for that one. I love that perspective though, because it is, um, somebody made a really good comment to me in an interview recently, which is we tend to get really conventional, like we call it functional. We do these labs and then we say we got to fix the lab work. And yeah. so as opposed to thinking about root causes, we go, what do, what's a pill that I can take to fix my lab work? As opposed to saying, like you said, OK, progesterone's high. How can we help the body use progesterone better? Not what do I need to do to lower progesterone? Exactly. And so I do a lot of mentorship for practitioners and clinicians, and I have a very zoom out approach is where a lot of us, what we were taught is zoom in. So like hyper focus and highlight on that one thing that is like staring at us and, and go after it. I don't take that approach. Test results are simply more information. They're data and it's our chemistry from our body, but they're information. Our role as practitioners is to zoom out and to now literally put it all on the wall and step back and look at all the data and go back and look at to the conversation we had with this woman we're working with and to spend the time in those consultations going deep, get her to do a whole timeline health history, meaning like I want to know everything you know about your health, including like, what was your mother's pregnancy like with you? What was the delivery of you being born? I want to like know as much as possible to pull it forward. Now, I take that approach because when you're dealing with hormones, hormones are chemicals. They're chemical messengers. They're very sensitive and they're very potent and strong. And if we just keep trying to hit a hammer over top of hormone, 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 Without understanding the whole person that we are working with, I really think we are missing the point. Yeah. I have some random symptoms. This is from Kelly Sib Sibley. She says, can perimenopause cause underarm odor to get worse? Yeah, it can. Really? Your pheromones are changing. Your hormones are changing. And oh, all of your bacteria is changing in your body as well, too. So most women will notice that as a big one. Um okay. Yeah. So very common. And uh, we want to be using natural deodorant for many reasons, but you know, if we're applying chemical deodorant in our underarm, those lymph are loaded and deposit into our breast tissue. But the reality is your odor is going to shift and change. You can go from all of a sudden smelling like sweet to smelling like onions to smelling like, you know, a hockey bag, all different variations. Great. So fun. Uh, Great. Here's, here's what I will say you're going to need to probably have like two or three different natural deodorant that you rotate kind of depend. And what women will notice is it can change also depending on the phase of your cycle that you are in. So you might be like my whole follicular phase, I have like no body odor. And then you come around ovulation when our pheromones will change and spike because we are designed at ovulation to be attracting a mate in. And then in the luteal phase, a lot of women will say before their period is when they smell the worst. And it makes sense for our bodies because we're trying to repel. Because if we have created life, it's like, I need to incubate now, like get away. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Biological. Yeah. This is from Katie Christian. She says, I have new food sensitivities to gluten, sugar, and wine. Does this level mm -hmm. out? Alcohol is causing way more bloat than it used to. Yeah. So, um, I would love to say that it levels out. It typically does not. And here is the, so I was 37 when my um, sensitivity to alcohol got to a point where I was like, like, I, I don't drink at all anymore um, because I just felt so crappy. And what started to happen was I would get congested in my sinuses and I'd be drinking a glass of wine. My face would get flushed. It'd be my worst sleep. I would get like mm -hmm. hot flushes and it would only happen when I would have alcohol. And so, you know, it takes a couple of times of feeling like garbage to finally be like, this is not worth it anymore. Alcohol for our bodies, especially in hormonal flux, no bueno. 
when we talk about that estrogen dominance and the impact of detox, there, especially the quality of wine that we are being exposed to here, um, you know, so it, no, our bodies, we just don't manage the alcohol anymore. And ladies, it's not healthy for our breast. It's not great for our microbiome. It's not good for our body as a whole. And so eliminating the booze and embracing your mocktails and like sparkling mm-hmm. water and some citrus, whatever, you know, much better, yeah. um, gluten and the sugar. So sugar is one of those things where natural sugars, hopefully her body is doing well with, but it's the additional added sugars, which it's, you have to be very aware and be reading what you're eating to be eliminating it as a whole. Um, but again, we're going to go through so many different shifts digestively. Gluten is a very difficult one because, you know, you can go and consume gluten in other parts of the world where they have different harvesting and growing and food prep practices and be okay. In North America and Canada and the U.S., we have some of the worst quality grains that are available for the average individual, and gluten is in everything. I mean, you can be reading your shampoo and conditioner that's for extra body and thickness, and there's hydrolyzed gluten proteins that are in that. So with gluten, what's happening, and I know you've had tons of people talk about this um, on the show, is we have to think about it this way. This isn't about following a restrictive diet. This is about understanding that if we have a true sensitivity, meaning when we consume it, we have a reaction. It's an injury to our body and gluten creates an injury to the mucus barrier, right? That the junctions within the gut that should be held nice and tight. So nothing gets in and nothing gets out that's supposed to. And when we have these injuries from gluten and other things, and now we start to open the spaces, our immune system is what is getting triggered. So you think to yourself, it's my gut that's getting triggered, but it is what's permeable, what's getting out of there. And the immune system is launching a response and it's not your body being broken. It's your body actually working for you. And so with gluten, I would, what I'd recommend to this listener is remove it completely for a couple of months, start to learn to move towards things that naturally don't contain gluten. Because a lot of what I see is we replace gluten with just unhealthier starch, right? And a lot of corn. If you look at most gluten-free products, they're just full of corn, full of potato starch, full of stuff that's not actually even food. And what I want to say on that is it's not just about taking the gluten out. If you're having sensitivities, we actually, I would recommend running a stool test I would want to understand what's going on in the gut. I would want to help you rebuild some of the healthy gut flora. I'd want to help to heal and seal the lining of that gut, cool and calm the inflammation. And then guess what? You can probably start to bring in some good quality gluten and other things and have far less reaction than you do right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So for my last question, which is kind of a big topic, but I know a lot of people were asking it. How do you naturally support progesterone? This is from Danielle. She said it's affecting my mood and length of cycle. So I think you might agree, but the number two hormone issue that I see, well, let's, let's leave cortisol out of it is, you know, estrogen dominance. And then the, the question I get all the time is like, how do I naturally support progesterone? So I feel like women are being told this a lot. Maybe they're not being Obviously, you talked a little bit about it in estrogen dominance, but what can women do to really support that, especially in the luteal phase? Okay, so this, again, is going to be a little bit kind of phase and age dependent because when you are getting into your mid to late 40s and you're no longer ovulating, there is no natural way to bring the progesterone back on board. Like you can do as much by text as you want. The pituitary is talking to, uh, you know, your, your ovaries now that are like, we, we do not do that anymore. Like we're beyond that stage. So if that, don't do that anymore, I like that. It's not our vibe. Yeah. We just gave 40 years of that. Now we're on to something else. So that would be looking at either doing a transdermal progesterone bioidentical cream or an oral micronized. Now, Backing that up, when you were in your mid to late 30s, early 40s, you can be doing some of the different herbs like the white peony, the angelica, the, you know, Vitex, which is trace tree, um, Romania, those types of things. Um, Douglas Labs has a great one that I've had very good uh, use and practice with called Progesto Mend. You do need to take these consistently. The other thing that is going to rob us of our ovulation and our progesterone early is massive stress and really poor sleep. 
So if your goal is to try and have healthy ovulation for as long as possible, you got to take care of your ovaries. And how you do that is you need to actually give them rest. We are not designed to be hustling and grinding. We are not designed. We are not men. We are not meant to be constantly pushing and pushing and forging and then allowing sleep to be the thing that we give our bodies the littlest amount of. And Mm -hmm. if sleep is a struggle, can you create more rest, right? It's like, I talk about it in different ways. There's sleep and there's rest. We we need more rest in our life. And the more you rest, the better your sleep will get. With exercise, we need more movement in our life and sometimes good quality exercise, right? So, yeah. and then the final piece to healthy ovarian function starts in the brain. So when we're talking about the HPA axiom, that pituitary, your brain has to feel safe enough to secrete that luteinizing hormone and get your ovaries on board to actually release an egg and ovulate to produce the progesterone. So if you live in a constant state of fight or flight, it's really working on that. So that could be breath work. It could be yoga. It could be cognitive behavior therapy. It could be journaling. Like it could be going out for walks in nature and literally just doing the thing that brings you so much joy. And the final tip on that is you must balance your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Right. Protein. Capital P. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jen Pike, tell me what you're working on. I know you have a few awesome programs I was looking into and you also have a podcast. So I want to know what you're doing and what's what's next for you. So my podcast, The Simplicity Sessions, um, that is women's health, hormones, mindset, uh, all of it. And in terms of offerings and education, um, that is what I love to do is educate. So I'm in my eighth year of running the Hormone Project Academy, and this is for women who they really want to understand what they should have known about their bodies always. And it's also for practitioners. I run additional practitioner labs inside of that program where we go deeper into case studies and functional testing and understanding. And then I do business mentorship for practitioners as well. And that is called the audacious woman. And it's really for women who are ready to claim it all, not just the business, but their health, their body, their relationships, their financial abundance. And yeah, that's what I got going on. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk through all of these questions. We hit a lot of big topics and you just were able to describe them so well so that, you know, creating good visuals is so important. And I think hopefully a lot of women are going to have a deeper understanding of their body and of what it's like to be in your 30s and 40s and what they can do to, to support their bodies. So I really appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're doing. And I would love, love, love to have you back. Oh, I'd love to come back on. It's been awesome. All right. For more from me, it's coconutsandkettlebells.com. For more from Jen, it's Jen Pike with two N's, J-E-N-N, pike.com. Thanks for being here, guys. We will talk to you next week.